Hi. Hello. Welcome to the weekly review with Roman. And getting the mics all set up here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco, and we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone people. And for more information, you can go to our website at weeklyrev.org. And there we have a land acknowledgement tab that has a lot of resources and links, including mutual aid, maps, um, the Segorate Land Trust, which is based in the East Bay, as well as a thread of native news outlets and a lot more information and places uh, to find more info. And we're going to start off with... going to take a deep breath here. Also... I will share that the first few songs we played today are Good Things by Slater Kinney, Kyoto by Phoebe Bridgers, and The Ash Is Not The End by War On Women. And the first piece I was going to get to today, we got a lot of news to, to get to and headlines and whatnot, but I did want to play a press conference that happened, I believe, yesterday? I think yesterday, yeah. So this is from the National Lawyers Guild. They also have an action alert, support the Indigenous Peoples Day 5. And this is uh, five indigenous media, uh, five, excuse me, five indigenous women and two spirit racial justice activists are being charged with felonies. Uh, drop the charges, Indigenous Peoples Day 5. No more monuments to murderers. Donate, write, email, fundraise, uh, share. And uh, this is, I'll read a, a bit about this here. A group of indigenous women and two-spirited people are being charged with felonies by Marin County DA Lori Frugoli in relation to the toppling of a statue of known enslaver and imprisoner of indigenous people, Junipero Serra. On Wednesday, February 17th at 9.30 a.m., NLG SFBA hosted a press conference with the Anti-Police Terror Project and the Indigenous Peoples Day 5 Solidarity Coalition demanding that DA Frugoli drop the charges against the ID5. Speakers included James Birch, APTP Policy Director and President of the National Lawyers Guild, San Francisco Bay Area, Karina Gould of Segorate Land Trust, Hasmik Gahamayan of the National Lawyers Guild, and Minister Cherry Murphy, interfaith organizer with eBase. And they have a, a list here of a uh, action steps that folks can take, and we will be... Oh, I got way too close to the mic there. And uh, I'll be sharing these uh, this these links on our website, weeklyrev.org. Uh, after the show is on, usually within a few hours, we have a link up. So that way, if you're listening along, wherever you are and would like to take action and or spread the word, it'll be easy to do so. So we'll be sharing this again online. Uh, they have a press release that, that has uh, over 50 community organizations call on Marin County DA uh, to drop the charges against the Indigenous Peoples Day 5. And they also have, there's a press conference recording, and I'll be playing the audio version of that. You can also visit the ID5 Solidarity Coalition website to learn more uh, and to donate, sign up for the newsletter, sign the petition, and more. And you can also sign on and support as an individual by signing the petition. So again, we'll be uh, sharing those links on our website at weeklyrev.org. And let's get started with this uh, press conference. You can also find it on Facebook. And uh, here we go. And I'll be checking in uh, a bit afterwards. This is about half an hour. And yeah. Um, also, just a, a note that we will be sharing the link to this. And also, the video does have ASL, I believe, ASL interpretation.
Hello, everyone, and thank you for coming. We're going to get started in just a few minutes here. Going to give some time for people to enter the room before we begin. And yes, there is ASL interpretation on this video, and we'll post a link to this on our website, wikirev.org. We'll hold one more minute and get started at 9.32. All right, and so this was on February 17th. So this was two days ago. And perhaps we'll put on a little bit of music in the background as we get started here. Whoa, let's get loud. Here we go. Great. Thank you everyone for gathering here today. Thank you to our speakers and thank you to the Indigenous Peoples Five Solidarity Coalition for organizing this event. My name is James Birch. I am the president of the National Lawyers Guild Bay Area and the policy director of the Anti-Police Terror Project. And I'll be uh, moderating our discussion today. I'd like to thank the deaf community uh, and our captioner and interpreter. Uh, for being present today. Uh, we're here today to demand that District Attorney Lori Fregoli drop the charges against the Indigenous Peoples Five. We have several speakers who will be appearing in the following order. First is Karina Gould, Chairperson for the Confederated Villages of Lujan. Next will be Minister Sherry Murphy, Interfaith Organizer with East Bay Alliance for Sustainable Economies. Following that will be Hazmik Gagamian, an attorney representing one of the Indigenous Peoples Five and member of the National Lawyers Guild. Uh, and we'll end with myself, James Birch. And as I said, I'm the president of the National Lawyers Guild Bay Area and the policy director for the Anti-Police Terror Project. Uh, after all of our speakers, we will reserve time for Q&A from the media. Again, thank you to everyone for attending. Without further ado, I'll pass it to Karina Gould, chairperson for the Confederated Villages of Lujan. Good morning, relatives, and thank you so much for showing up. It's important for the Confederated Villages of Lashawn to be here today in support of and in solidarity with the IPD-5. Our connection with this is that our tribal people have been um, the, the objects of, of genocide here in California by the Catholic Church since the inception of California. Our history goes back um, to the 1600s with the Catholic Church, and they came into our territories in, in the, uh, 1776, around the same time that America was fighting for its independence on the other side of the country. Um, Junipero Serra, the statue that was taken down in October, is a, um, a symbol to California Native people and to many other indigenous people about the genocide that happened on our lands when the Catholic Church first came here. The Catholic Church was the instrument of, uh, that used its power to bring colonization to the world. 
using a papal bull called the Doctrine of Discovery. It allowed people to, Europeans, to go to countries with people of color and claim that they were only, they only were only half human. They only had half a soul. And therefore, European people could take that land that they occupied by the sword or by the Bible. When Junipero Serra came here to California, he created nine of the 21 missions. People glorify these missions still today, not knowing the true history of what happened to California Native people, the murder, the rape, the taking of the sacred, the killing of the two-spirit people, and the desecration of our places that we have lived for thousands of years in reciprocity with the lands and the waters around us. Everything changed in a very quick manner and Junipero Serra was the one that brought those churches here. My ancestors were enslaved at two of the nine churches that he brought here, Mission San Jose in Fremont and Mission Dolores in San Francisco. In 2015, thousands of indigenous people and non-indigenous people around the world stood up and implored the Catholic Church and the Pope to not make Junipero Serra a saint. For us as, Catholic, as, uh, as native people from California, we liken him to maybe what the Jewish people would think of as Hitler. In the Catholic faith, we were taught, as I'm a recovering Catholic, we're taught that when someone is a saint that you ask for them to intervene um, between you and God for miracles. We could not fathom having to pray to a saint who had caused so much destruction and devastation in our lands. Junipero Serra is not a saint and the Catholic Church continues to stand up and use paternalism against Native people, women, and two-spirit people. When we are taking down statues across this country in order for people to listen to the true history of what has happened in this country by the blood and backs of Native and African-American people and people of color, we need to ask ourselves why we are uh, causing this impunity to these women in this, uh, in this court of law. We need to drop the charges. We need to ask the DA to drop the charges. We need to have a conversation about what it means for us to drop these statues. The conversations need to be held wide open in this country to stop standing behind the lies. If nothing in the last four years has taught us anything, the fascism must stop, the rhetoric, the lies, the ways that this country was created. We must be open so that the next seven generations of young people can stand on a foundation of truth so that we could move forward to create a healing platform, not to continue to penalize people for their belief systems. I think that when we are looking at the racism that happens in Marin County continuously with people of color, the targeting of Native people and people of color in these places, these cities in Marin County, then we need to know that, um, that we still need to have those conversations. 
the bishop that is in um, charge of that area, Cortelloni, um, actually is against uh, gay rights, is uh, not looking to have women leaderships in the church, is one of the people that have asked for the churches to be open during COVID that would cause more people harm. This is not the leadership that we're looking for. We're looking for people that are willing to sit down with the, the church and those that the church has harmed. We're looking at a mega institution, but also a government. And I think people don't understand that the Catholic church is actually an international government, that they actually have their own governance and their own money, that this is a worldwide epidemic of colonization and genocide that has continued to happen. Who needs to be on court in court right now is the Catholic Church. They need to be held accountable for the horrific crimes that they have created around the world, the genocide and what has happened to generations of us that have still not recovered. I implore you to stand up and ask the DA to drop the charges. Let's look for a different solution. Let us begin these conversations. Let us let's start the healing. And we are asking you to push the DA to drop these charges today. I wanna thank you so much. And thank you for the courageousness of all those that stand up against racism and fascism and all isms in this country. Thank you so much to Karina Gould uh, for sharing uh, the story of your people uh, on your land uh, with all of us today. Um, next, we have Minister Sherry Murthy of the East Bay Alliance for Sustainable Economies, who is going to continue our conversation about uh, the responsibilities uh, of the church uh, and of religious folks uh, in this time. Thank you. Thank you, James. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sherry Murphy. Uh, I'm a social justice minister here in the East Bay. I'm also an interfaith organizer with East Bay Alliance for Sustainable Economies and a doctoral student at Berkeley School of Theology. This morning, my comments are directed toward the church. In Jesus and the Disinherited, Dr. Howard Thurman asked the following question. Why is it that the church is weak in dealing effectively with race and its impacts? Is it our religion itself? Is it our approach or the way we engage in community? To some extent, why is it so perilous to combat racism when there are folk with what he describes with their backs against the wall? What I know as a black queer woman is racism has been a part of the church and theological foundation upon which this notion of genocide and conquest has been constructed. It is not news for some of us that the theological education has been a co-conspirator in oppressive laws that encompasses in this de demonic design to conquer the world for Jesus Christ. This is the dominant worldview that many Eurocentric thinking have inherited, a world in which they have been told they are superior, that they are always right, and a legacy they have committed to maintain like the doctrine of discovery that my sister Karina has just mentioned. We are in an area where racist ideology is being confronted. 
symbols of monuments to racism and violence are being removed across uh, the state and across the nation. And yet the church and the city of Stanford Raphael is refusing to recognize the harms perpetrated against indigenous people by Sarah. Instead, have decided to file felony charges against five of the 50 demonstrators, all five facing charges who happened to be not by accident, indigenous women and two-spirited people. As a Christian, I am remorseful and repentant of that Eurocentric thinking, which continues today. And so my call to action to the church is that we must decide whether we choose to worship the God of conquest and genocide, or whether we choose to worship the God of justice and compassion. The indigenous peoples five have continued a legacy which has dared to challenge the status quo by holding on to what Martin Luther King describes as a love ethic. A love ethic demanded that individuals tell their oppressors what they are doing wrong. Or Bell Hook's invitation to acknowledge blind spots that can emerge only as we expand our concern about politics of domination and our capacity to care about the oppression and exploitation of others. Or womanist Dolores Williams, who calls the work reevaluate involving looking at melanated bodies as humans with souls and feelings and a lived experience. I say this to encourage the mission San Rafael to consider how they might begin to reconcile with the balance of their founding. I'm encouraging the church to join us in demanding the DA drop the charges. In closing, the dispossessed of this nation, which includes the indigenous, black, brown, Asian, and poor bodies, live in a cruelly unjust society. This property represents white power structure, which they were attacking and trying to destroy. These people were addressing the power imbalance that property represents today. This kind of understanding centers on the lived experience of thinking, feeling, acting of the indigenous people. What these Jesus has described as the least of these. I will suggest to you today that the lived experience of the indigenous people is a North Star for the underfunctioning church around racism. The lived experience of the indigenous people is a practical theology which can leave the church, lead the church out of the hermeneutical wilderness racialized thinking and trauma, suggesting that another world is possible. We must drop the charges. Thank you. Ooh. Thank you so much, Minister Sherry Murphy, again from the East Bay Alliance for Sustainable Economy. Um, and thank you to both of our speakers thus far um we're lucky to be in your presence and to hear your words uh, i hope you all can see the chat and how many people are appreciating uh what you were contributing in your energy this morning next we're gonna go uh to hasmik gagamian an attorney representing one of the indigenous peoples five and a member of the national lawyer skill Thank you, James, and to the organizers of the Indigenous Peoples Day 5 Solidarity Coalition, Anti-Police Terror Project, and the National Lawyers Guild of San Francisco Bay Area for putting together this important press conference. 
My name is Hasmi Gagamian and Gabriela Lopez and I are the defendants, are defending the three of the five IP5 defendants who are currently facing felony vandalism charges under Penal Code 594B1 due to the alleged cost of restitution that is above $400. DA Lori Fugolito's office has made a political decision and elected to file this felony vandalism charges to eventually target and harm these dynamic activists who provide so much support, healing and justice in their own communities. Allegedly known for its progressive values and ran on such a platform as a DA, this decision to file charges goes against the collective consciousness of removing symbols of genocide, slavery, and oppression in the US and transnationally, especially in the wake of George Floyd solidarity protests. We know that monuments of racism, genocide, slavery, and white supremacy are being removed by city and state officials, schools, parks, and churches, yes, churches, and activists across the country. Yet the city of San Rafael has refused to this day to reckon with this violent history of what Junipero Serra represents, including someone who what, imprisoned and enslaved indigenous peoples. The DA's office has the power to refuse to follow this legacy of white supremacy by dismissing this case. But as of today, this case has not been dismissed and they elected to criminalize activists over a symbol of imprisonment and enslavement of indigenous people. This is nothing but a shameful decision that calls in question the hypocritical values of the DA's office that sanctions the unrepentant legacy of the Catholic Church in California. In December of 2020, four out of five Indigenous Peoples Day defendants had their arraignment hearing where they were read their rights and entered not guilty. Tomorrow, February 18th at 9 a.m., we have a status conference because not everyone has been arraigned and we hope the DA will use this as an opportunity to speak with the defense and dismiss the charges before moving forward on a preliminary hearing and continuing to prosecute this needless politically motivated case against our clients. As you know, Marin County, the territory of Coast Miwok peoples is one of the richest counties in the state of California. Instead of focusing on more pressing issues such as addressing income inequality and poverty, they have targeted community members in the Bay Area that do so much work to decolonize the genocidal legacy of colonialism and white supremacy in California. Instead of addressing the underlying grievances and lack of historical reckoning similar to other cities, municipalities, the DA's office in Marin County has chosen to punish and face potential county jail time of these indigenous people's defendants. This is yet another injustice and punitive response to demands for historical justice. As the attorneys for IP5, as well as immigrant descendants 
of survivors of genocide here and transnationally, we urge the DA's office to drop these charges immediately. If you have any questions, please uh, feel free to contact Gabriela Lopez and I. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hasmik. Uh, again, maybe Hasmik, you can leave your, uh, uh, provide contact information for folks so they can follow up with you. Uh, and again, we appreciate uh, you taking the time to speak with us today uh, and your work. Uh, and our last speaker today before Q&A uh, is me. Uh, my name is James Birch. Again, I'm the policy director for the Anti-Police Terror Project and the president of the National Lawyers Guild Bay Area, two organizations who are proud to uh, be a part of hosting uh, this press conference today. Junipero Serra, a genocidal enslaver of indigenous people, cannot have his legacy softened or dismissed. And what is becoming increasingly clear here in the United States is that the continued resistance of indigenous peoples has moved our society to a place where we no longer accept the false narratives that have been propagated for much too long, far too long. And it's not only the movement for indigenous solidarity that's effectuated such a change. So too have black organizers and activists rallied to have statues that represent the Confederacy taken down across the country. That's why our coalition's petition demanding that DA Lori Fregoli drop the charges has received over 75,000 signatures. And that's why over 50 organizations from across the Bay Area and the country, including many faith-based organizations, community-based organizations, and organizations that fight against systemic racism, have joined together to demand that the charges be dropped. How many more voices do we need before Lori Fregoli gets the message? because we'll continue to gain in size and popular support until our demand is met. In this moment, I find it particularly frustrating that District Attorney Lori Fregoli is attempting to play both sides. Just a few weeks ago, DA Fregoli hosted a community forum denouncing symbols of hate. At that forum, she had a speaker who had worked to change the name of the Dixie School District, a change that Fregoli and the Anti-Police Terror Project uh, and everyone else I believe believes in. Why then is she spending community resources to prosecute the removal of another racist symbol? What is the difference to Lori Fregoli between the legacy of the Dixie South and the legacy of Junipero Serra? While there are many distinctions that can be made between the two, there is little difference. Both systems of enslavement should be fervently decried and the brutal history should be taught to all of us as to prevent the continuation of such violent legacies. That's the responsibility that community leaders like Lori Fregoli purports to be hold in 2021. And as the president of the National Lawyers Guild Bay Area and the policy director of the Anti-Police Terror Project, I understand it to be my responsibility to denounce all symbols of racist violence, whether they be swastikas, Confederate statues or genocidal missionaries. In pursuit of that end, I denounce Lori Fregoli's decision to continue this prosecution and demand that she drops the charges against the Indigenous Peoples Day file. Thank you. And so now we will uh, hold space for any questions from the media.
Yes, please put the questions in the Q&A box if you have them, sorry uh, for the confusion. Uh, and at the same time, I'll open up the space if any of the panelists are motivated to share any more words. We're going to put a link to the uh, sign-on for organizations in the chat. We'll also uh, put a link to the petition. Again, the petition already has over 75,000 signatures. Um, and so let's keep that rolling uh, and let uh, DA Fregoli know how serious um, this community is and how deep we roll. Uh, and in addition, over 50 organizations have signed thus far. Uh, and that's just a fraction of the support uh, that we're gonna gather. Um, can, can, does anyone want to elaborate more on, I see a question. Well, Hasmik, maybe you want to answer that question out loud, uh, explaining how the church is insisting on pressing charges that the DA can still decide not to prosecute, if you're comfortable answering that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, James. Um, yeah, so the DA's office, they have the discretion to not prosecute. Um, and they were pressured, actually, um, from some members of the church and the community to file these charges. In fact, some members of the church um, wanted hate crimes to be filed against um, IP5. And they held an exorcism a ceremony um, at the church um, back in, I want to say December or late November. So they do have, they do have a discretion. They have a lot of power. They hold a lot of power so they can decide not to prosecute, but they chose to, to file these charges and um, acquiesced to the pressures of the church. Thank you so much, Hazmik. Uh, and so now I see the petition and the organizational sign-on letter are linked in the chat. Uh, I do see another question about what is going to be happening tomorrow, Hasmik. So if you could speak maybe a little more about that. Yes. So back in December, um, the first kind of step in prosecution, and Gabriela Lopez is, has knows much more than I do, um, is is the arraignment hearing where the defendants I read their charges and their rights. And they enter the first enter entry, which is which was not guilty, of course. Um, only four out of the five defendants entered plea, so the case cut continued to tomorrow, where the one additional person will be arraigned, and then after that we'll have a preliminary hearing, and that's going to be scheduled later this year. Great, thank you so much, Hazmik. Um, I don't see any more media-related questions in the chat. I do want people to, uh, if community, folks interested in support, uh, want to learn more, you can go to ip5solidarity.org um, uh, and reach out to the Solidarity uh, Coalition uh, to get some of those answers met. Uh, and we're happy to 
plug folks in. I'm seeing a lot of folks who want their organizations to sign on asking how to help. We're definitely happy to uh, get folks plugged in. Okay. Um, I do want to lift up um, uh, the question in the chat that are, are five are the five being held in jail? No, they're not being held in jail currently. Um, okay, thank you uh, so much, everyone, for coming here today. Thank you for being here. Thank you to all of our speakers. Uh, thank you to Annie Banks uh, for all the organizing work uh, you did to, to get this event together. Uh, again, thank you to the deaf community for their presence. Uh, and to our captioner and interpreter uh, for their work with us today. Uh, and thanks again to Karina Gould uh, for your work and for um, uh, sharing um, personal context about Junipero Serra uh, uh, and his brutal racist and genocidal legacy uh, that we all stand together to fight back against. This is not the last you'll hear of us, folks. We were we're rolling until DA Lori Fregoli drops the charges. Uh, we're getting bigger until DA Fregoli drops the charges, and so you can expect um, more from us. We'll keep the press plugged in. We'll keep our community plugged in, uh, and we'll keep this train rolling uh, until uh, our demands are met. Again, thank you so much, everybody. All right. So again, this was the IP5 press conference, which happened on February seventeenth. And on our website, weeklyrev.org, we will post a link to the video with ASL interpretation, as well as a petition to sign and places to donate and more information. We're going to play some more music, and then we'll keep be back with some more news. Uh, Shamir, who's an artist I like quite a bit, has a new album out, so I'll play some music from Shamir. And then we'll be back uh, after this.
Hello, and welcome back to the Review That Way section. We are with the songs On My Own, Running, and Paranoia off the new album. And we've got uh, some news articles for you. <sighs> this is a brief paragraph from Democracy Now! That uh, from February 17th. Biden received $5 million from border security and immigrant prison companies during campaign. Hmm. Doing doing the show now for seven years, and this will be the uh, third third president here. Uh, ugh, and they're all just ugh. Let's let's read the article here. A new report reveals President Biden and other Democrats received more campaign money from leading border security and immigration prison corporations than Trump and fellow Republicans during the 2020 election season, according to the report by the Transnational Institute. American Friends Service Committee and Mihente, Biden received over $5 million from border security executives, while Trump got $1.7 million in campaign contributions. Just going to sit with that for a moment. It's not surprising and still just so discouraging. 
<sighs> the next article is from a great outlet called Wear Your Voice, and I've spoken with them I th maybe in 2014, 2015, a while ago. Um, but please do check out their website, wearyourvoicemag.com, and that's W-E-A-R, yourvoice.com. They have a lot of great articles on there as well. And this is an article that came out also on February 17th by Deshaun Harrison. Your disdain for the South is just anti-blackness. When people blame black and other colonized people in the South for the actions of corporations and moneyed politicians, they only assist the state in nailing us to the cross that kills us for their salvation. And a lot of this, I believe, is also in relation to how folks are responding to the situation in Texas where folks have had their power shut off or do, or do not have access to clean drinking water and there tends to be uh, actions among folks either on the coasts and or in the north and or in cities that's just very much uh, victim blaming and instead of actually acknowledging that the powers that be are the ones who cause these crises and folks who happen to live in these areas and have grown up in these areas and have family in these areas, those aren't the folks who are who should be blamed for this or should be ignored. It's really the people in positions of power that cause this harm. Since the mid-1800s, levels of atmospheric carbon dioxide have continuously increased. This phenomenon, along with other drastic environmental shifts, is referred to as climate change. Climate change, as defined by the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, UNFCCC, is a change in the Earth's climate that is attributed directly or indirectly to human activity. The author says, uh, I find it necessary to, to trouble that definition a bit, as it does nothing to name how much anti-blackness, colonialism, and capitalism affect the ethos of this planet. That is to say, while we while we do each contribute to the makeup of the Earth's climate, the rate at which the climate changes and the condition by which climate change is made possible is controlled entirely by capitalists, career politicians, and major corporations. Referring to this as a human issue, indicates that we all exist on a level playing field and therefore contribute to the change in climate equally. We do not. Deforestation and the burning of fossil fuels both play a significant roles. Both play here. Both play oh much better. Uh, both play significant roles in climate change, and these efforts are led in large part by major corporations like Walmart, Ikea, and Exxon, as well as Western political leaders. Trees absorb carbon dioxide, a gas that traps heat, and thus send this gas into the atmosphere when they are destroyed. This is referred to as the greenhouse effect. Too much or too little of the greenhouse effect can make a planet uninhabitable. According to NASA, most scientists agree that this is the human expansion of the greenhouse effect that is causing climate change. I don't. I understand Western imperialism and colonialism as the everlasting greatest threat to climate to the climate through the continued exploitation of the worker, the ongoing enslavement and subjugation of the black, and the destruction of indigenous lands. The pursuit of oil is a leading cause of war. Western imperialist nati nations, such as the United States, have invaded entire countries and terrorized whole nations to possess 
what has proven to be one of the most powerful resources known to humankind. It is not oil alone that has caused war, but rather the need for America to maintain its position as the power machine that controls the rest of the world. As proven by former President George W. Bush through the invasion of Iraq, America retains its global hegemonic power by convincing, whereby I mean demanding through impeding on countries' social and political freedoms, other states to support its foreign and economic policies influenced by geographical components. As the author once wrote, imperialism, though not inextricably so, is directly tied to capitalism. America will do what it must to preserve the power it wields through control of capital, even if that means the empire is sustained through military force. Preserving power, however, does not look like imperialism alone. The facts are as transparent as they can be. 97% of climate scientists affirm that climate change is real, yet denying that climate change exists is still a top priority for politicians and corporations with a vested interest in controlling capital. This has also been a leading cause for the obliteration of entire cities following prodigious apocalyptic uh, storms like Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans back in August 2005. Through capitalism and Uh, Excuse me. Though capitalism and environmental racism are to blame for the devastating aftermath of Katrina, the storm was caused by climate change. Had politicians listened to the overwhelming evidence provided by climate and atmospheric scientists that climate change is real, Katrina could have possibly been avoided. Instead, they ignored the fact that sea levels and global temperatures are rising, that glaciers and ice sheets are continuing to melt, and that CO2 levels have skyrocketed thus causing Katrina to destroy an entire city and thousands of families and committing to what I refer to as ecological genocide. And here we are again. As I am writing this, Texas and other southern states are suffering through the coldest and most life-threatening winter storm they've experienced in 30 years, storms that have, in just a couple of days, left millions without power and killed many others. While millions are suffering from the South's poor infrastructure and the government's disinterest, in protecting the people who live in these states, many have taken to Twitter to patronize Southerners for their state's misleadership instead of critiquing the elected officials themselves. This is not the first time this has happened. Last year, Americans turned out in record numbers to vote in what has been referred to as the most important election in modern history. As Biden has reminded us throughout his campaign and since being elected as the next president, there were many red states and many blue states. Because of the nature of last year's election, with more mail-in votes than usual, it seemed as though all states were voting as conservatively or progressively, in quotation marks, as they always had. During that time, social media was flooded with largely anti-black sentiments about the South and its usefulness or lack thereof. Viral tweets made the rounds, naming that Flint deserved its quote-unquote dirty water, that New Orleans deserved, quote-unquote, a second Katrina, Uh, that Florida, specifically Miami, deserved no resources or care for the next hurricane it was sure to experience. And while Michigan is not a southern state, I imagine Flint still had to bear the brunt of the country's anger alongside the South because of how people link black suffering to slavery, which can't be divorced from the South. The South was marked, as it so often is during election season, as, quote-unquote, useless, worthless, and otherwise unimportant. And then the mail-in votes from Metro Atlanta started to be counted. With the possibility of the South being the country's quote-unquote saving grace by flipping blue, the narrative had suddenly shifted. For months, there were endless viral tweets about voter suppression in the South, 
where an overwhelming number of black people live on any given day ending in Y, you'll find tweets talking about the work of Rosa Parks and MLK Jr. or the horrendous experiences of students like Ruby Bridges. Last year, the world lost several civil rights giants and for for months, their names, stories, and social struggles were used as political props to push political agendas. And yet, when it came down to the wire, Southerners were being blamed for the perceived results of the election instead of Trump supporters, white supremacy, and anti-blackness, of which there is no one place of residence. One could argue that when they name the South in this situation, it is to name voter, it is to name voter suppression and overall white supremacy. But as the targeted cities are largely black and the South itself is largely black, these statements simply are not apolitical. When it's time for the country to be saved, everyone remembers that most of the black folks in this country live in the South. They make us feel, they make us their political mules and beg us to carry the weight of saving a country forged by our subjugation. Yet when it's time to scrutinize the South, people make sweeping statements that erase the violence we experience here as if suddenly the only people who live here are white supremacists. But it's those white supremacists who shape the political landscape of the South. Black folks here lead radical resistance and create social movements, but we are also those who suffer the consequences of living in a conservative in conservative regions, as is being proven yet again when our elected officials succeed in doing their job, which is to protect the state first and always. It is black folks who are harmed in the middle of a catastrophe. And the article goes on. There's about three more paragraphs or so. And again, you can find this at whereyourvoice.com. And the author is Deshaun Harrison. So we'll share this also on our website. Going to play some more music. And again, just taking taking this in and uh, wanting to share this and then also recognizing how I feel with reading it as someone who's not black, just wanting to to name that. Um, I'm going to play some more music, and we'll be back in a bit. Where's Fuck. <laughs> Do you even know how to use this? Difficult as shit. Yeah, but it's being a bitch right now. <coughs> this shit is too elaborate. Oh, there we go. There we go.
right, welcome back. Ooh, ugh. I keep on getting too close to the microphone. Uh, welcome back. That was Shamir from Shamir's new self-titled album. And the show, yeah, I get it. It's depressing. Uh, <laughs> why do I do this? I don't know. Uh, a commitment, I guess, to it. Also, there's so many things out there. What's happening is just, it feels overwhelming at times. And also part of this is a reminder that there are so many ways that folks can take action. So the next up is uh, five action items to stop anti-trans bills that Chase Sergio has written. This was on uh, Medium. You can find it at chase-strangio.medium.com and we'll also post a link on our website. You can also follow Chase on Twitter. Chase shares a lot of really important information. Over the past six years, state legislatures have made it a priority to attack transgender youth. This year, we're witnessing a record number of bills proposed in states across the country with many moving quickly through the legislative process. Most of the bills proposed doing two main things. One, bar trans women and girls from women's athletics and two, criminalize or otherwise ban gender-affirming health care for trans youth. The underlying goal of these efforts is to entrench in law restrictions on self-determination for all youth and ultimately to prevent people from being trans at all. They are animated through a well-funded and developed infrastructure that weaponizes misinformation about transness to capitalize on people's fears of gender variance. If passed, these bills will harm everyone. Here's what you can do to help. One. Stay informed. The state legislative process can be difficult to follow. Our government systems are deliberately opaque. So two, limit our ability to understand the mechanisms of power that are always being enacted upon us. For a basic primer on how laws are made, they have a link to an explainer. To keep track of specific bills, follow the ACLU's bill tracker, which is updated weekly with the status of all anti-LGBTQ bills pending across the country. Two, inform others. I guess that's what I'm doing here, as well as informing myself. Uh, these bills are able to move quickly and pass because people are not aware that all of this is happening. Share information about where bills are pending, how people can engage their lawmakers, and accurate information about trans people, our medical care, and the aggressive and well-funded movements pushing this legislation. On sports, this resource, and they have a link, uh, debunks key myths about trans participation in athletics. And I'll just interject here. As a kid, I pay, played a lot of sports, and I can't imagine what my life would have been like if I hadn't, even though I didn't necessarily identify as trans when I was a kid or didn't have an understanding that was even a choice or that I could identify as such, um, I, I can't imagine what my life would have been like if I hadn't been able to play sports as a kid. So... Oh. oh, okay. Okay, so they have a, a link, a resource that debunks key myths about trans participation in athletics. They also have a piece that uh, explains the many flaws with the latest anti-trans discourse in sports. On the healthcare bills, share statements from major medical associations affirming the importance and medical necessity of healthcare for trans youth. Uh, there are statements from the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Endocrine Society, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, and the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. They also have an article from pediatric psychiatrist Jack Turbin, who is also helpful, uh, which is also a helpful explainer of the essential mental health benefits of gender affirmation in trans youth. Three, 
engage lawmakers. The most important thing you and others can do is engage is to engage lawmakers where you live. To find out who represents you in your state legislature, you can type in your address and they have a link where you can type in your address to find out your to find your state senator and state representative. If you or someone you know lives in or owns property in a state with an anti-trans bill pending, contact your relevant lawmakers and tell them that you want them to vote no on any pending anti-trans bills. Generally, you can leave a message or send an email. It does not have to be long or detailed, but you should emphasize who you are, where you are from, and why you oppose the bills. But this can be as simple as, hi, my name is X, I live in Y, and you are my representative or senator. I am concerned about the harm to trans youth if you vote to pass anti-trans bill X. Please vote no. Thank you. If you are outside a state with a bill pending, you can always sign up to phone bank through organizations like NEAT, N-E-A-T. Let's click on that and see what that is. NEAT is the National Equality Action Team. All right. And the article has a link to that. You can also find this at theneat.org. I did take a side note. I did take a voiceover class. And uh, uh, one piece I learned was to uh, end the sentence or the, the the spot with a going up as that will attract people to your, your quote unquote product or whatever you're trying to sell me. I'm just trying to sell trans equality. Please buy it. Oy. I didn't see any, uh, <laughs> no one was hiring for any, uh, <sighs> ads that were about, uh, ending trans discrimination. So here we are doing it for free because, uh, we have to, all right, where was I? I was trying to be funny, and then I lost my place. Okay, okay, so neat. Okay, uh, if you are outside of state with a bill pending, you can always sign up to phone bank through organizations like NEAT, and they provide a link. Check to see where volunteers are needed. When bills pass through both chambers of a state legislative body, there are often national calls on governors to veto the bill. Unfortunately, most of the governors uh, in the U.S. are shitty. Um, not trying to be pessimistic here, just <laughs> realistic. However, I do believe it's important to put pressure on them. Okay, so, okay. Uh, I'll stop interrupting myself. Maybe I will. Uh, when bills pass through both chambers of a state legislative body, there are often national calls on governors to veto the bill, so make sure you can stay up to date on what bills have progressed and whether there are veto, veto campaigns you can join. Number four, donate resources. These fights are building and are relentless and take the hardest toll on trans people. Like uh, this guy reading this. Donate to local trans-led organizations wherever you can. The Trans Justice Funding Project, TJFP, they have a link, is an incredible resource for finding local organization. Check TJFP grantees for organizations in your state. You can also donate to mutual aid groups supporting trans survival, including bail funds. Your local ACLU affiliate is also an important resource for lobbying against anti-trans bills in your state. And five, affirm those around you. Every day, part of our work is to love and care for each other. Those leading the movement to criminalize trans lives and eradicate transness are hoping to exhaust and demoralize us. You can always fight back by caring for each other, uncovering our long and beautiful history, and sharing information and resources. This is a long fight, and the coming years are going to be brutal. As we continue to push back the power of the state to control and surveil us, we are our own best resources and resistance. Thank you, Chase, for writing this. And uh, again, we'll provide 
a link on our website. And I'm going to uh, start uh, entering it uh, right now. Okay. And there we go. Next up, let's see. What other uh, stories here? Oh, oh goodness. Um, oof. There is a new documentary. There's a, um, on the 48 Hills, the Adachi project film shows inside story of virus outbreaks and the geo group's failure to contain them. And this is a new documentary which exposes COVID crisis at private SF prison. There's an article by Tim Redmond that came out on February 15th, it looks like. And um, they have a link. The documentary is free. I think it's about 11 minutes or so. And it's also on the website. Uh, the, the documentary shows residents crowded as as many as 14 to a room. Oof. Uh, goodness. So um, we'll post a link to the article here as well as the documentary. And um, yes, we'll post that on the website. Ah. <sighs> deep side some positive news though and again the positive news stories are here when something bad is prevented from happening or when something bad stops happening and uh, this is from students deserve um, follow them at at la underscore students dsrv um, black students made history today and this was from february 16th this black history month uh, black students families educators and community organizers pushed lausd to hashtag fund black futures not school police and they secured a historic win to fund yes i share that again and for more information on this thread fifteen thousand black students will now have counselors ethnic studies restorative justice counselors and psws to help thrive in and beyond school school police will no longer be in schools yay and all 25 million dollars we divested from school police will be spent on black students here what we want here's what we want they say one no more cops in our schools Two, reinvested $25 million cut from school police, plus $11 million more into black students in LAUSD. Three, secured funding to transition to additional schools with high numbers of black students to the community schools model. And next up, fully defund and abolish the Los Angeles School Police Department. Schools shouldn't even have police. We shouldn't have police at all. All the funding should go to be helping people instead of uh, violent gangs that harass and harm people. So... That's great news, and um, lots of love and solidarity to all the folks who fought to create this, and that's people are doing this all over the country. So also provide, share a link to this information on our website. All right, I'm going to go through. I'm going to push through. We got uh, about half an hour left. I'll be playing some more music. Oh, there's an article about uh, the prison industry. Oh, there's a course that's happening. Okay, that's great. I mean that sincerely. Uh, just kind of down today, and I know a lot of folks are. And you can enroll today in this course, uh, the curriculum, which is a free public self-study course about the prison industry and the fight to build a future without it. Enroll today, download the syllabus, start studying, and join us every week this spring for a webinar, discussion group, and more. And we'll post a link here on the website. You can also find this at worthrises.org. Curriculum. I'll read about this. Have you ever thought about who designs and builds the six by eight foot cells where people languish for months and years? Who manufactures the shackles incarcerated women are forced to wear while given birth? 
What about those who train officers to use force on people suffering mental health crises? The prison industry is made up of psychopaths. No, wait, sorry. That's my, that's my word. I'm going to go back to the, I'll go back to the article. I'm just oh, feeling really angry today. Let's, let's start this again. <clears throat> this is also why I probably could not be in politics is that I would just call people I don't like psychopaths and then it would just be downhill from there. But it's how I feel. Okay. The prison industry is made up of a vast matrix of corporations and public-private partnerships that undergrid human caging and control for profit. More than 4,100 corporations, and they have a link here, and their government conspirators profit from the incarceration of 2.1 million mothers, fathers, children, and grandparents, and surveillance of 4.4 million more on probation or parole. It's time we unpack the prison industry. The curriculum is a 15-week free public education course based on our report, The Prison Industry, How It Started, How It Works, How It Harms. Through this course, we hope to relay a strong understanding of the prison industry and a framework to imagine a, the world without it. Each week, each, week. <laughs> each week, the syllabus includes reading assignments with thought-provoking and inspirational discussion questions, Punishment and Profit webinar series hosted in collaboration with the Green Space at and New York Public Radio, Tuesdays at 7 p.m., imagining that's Eastern time. The Curriculum Study Group on Clubhouse, Tuesdays at 8 p.m., segment on The Brian Lehrer Show, Mondays at 11 a.m., Five Facts About the Prison Industry video series, discussion forum for directly impacted community members in the community set corner, and social media conversation at hashtag punishment profit. Wow, this looks pretty amazing and what a great resource. So you can enroll. I'm just curious to see here when it specifically it starts. And this is the introduction. Just uh, the course calendar, February. Okay, let's see. And let's move into March. Okay, so far they just have. Uh, February up here, but I'll post a link to the website. Again, you can just go there directly at worthrises.org uh, for the curriculum. And seems really fucking awesome. And also, um, you can also donate to this organization as well. Looks really great. Okay. <sighs> All right. Next up. Uh, and there's another website. Here we go. Here's a Twitter thread. I also share a lot of links on Twitter. Oh, yes, of course. I've been meaning to get to this. And uh, again, you can follow me on Twitter or at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. I'm feeling pretty uh, burnt out right now. But this is a great thread, a mutual aid thread of uh, for folks who are in Texas. This was shared by uh, Doxy. You can find them on Twitter at dox underscore gay and attention everyone please help retweet share this document and um, this person has compiled a list of links of resources for people currently facing the weather crisis in texas and it's a google doc and we'll share a link to this thread and the mutual aid page on our website weeklyrev.org clicking on it now it's called texas weather crisis assistance and it was last updated today at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you can also find it at bit.ly forward slash Texas resources. They have city specific docs, 
food banks, warming stations, including you can call 211 to find your nearest warming center, call 311, CAP Metro or APD, oh, APD, hmm. Uh, North Texas warming centers, Central Texas warming centers, Montgomery County, other warming centers, pet-friendly warming centers, etc. cetera. A uh, lot of information. And uh, so, yeah, we'll provide a link for this on our website. All right, I'm going to do what I did last time, just go through all this, all these other articles I wanted to share, and then just play some music while I update the website. Okay, California appeals court to hear arguments to erase West Berkeley shell mound. This is from Indian Country Today. And the site is one of the earliest known Ohlone settlements on the shores of the San Francisco Bay. This is a, a news release. National Trust for Historic Preservation. The California Court of Appeal for the First District will hear oral arguments tomorrow. And let's see when this came out. And let's see. I don't see a, a date just yet. Um, so unsure of when exactly this came out. Um, in the ongoing legal battle over the fate of the West Berkeley Shell Mound and Village Site, one of the earliest known Ohlone settlements on the shores of San Francisco Bay, the lawsuit pits the city of Berkeley and an Ohlone tribe known as the Confederated Villages of Lashon against the private owners of the Shell Mound site who want to excavate it <sighs> to build a mixed commercial and residential development project. The National Trust filed an amicus brief arguing that the sacred site is an invaluable cultural res resource worthy of preservation and should be protected by California state law. At the crux of this lawsuit are two fundamental questions. Does an Ohlone shell mound qu uh, qualify as a historic quote-unquote structure eligible for protection under state law? And will the Ohlone have a voice in the decision-making process? The National Trust's advocacy for the West Berkeley shell mound and village site is motivated by our strong belief that the Ohlone tribe has the right to say to a say in what happens to a site that holds such deep cultural and spiritual significance to their community, said Chief Preservation Officer of the National Trust for Historic Preservation, Catherine Malone, France. In this instance, preservation is firmly on the side of equity and justice. The 2.2-acre paved parking lot visible at the Shell Mound site today hides millennia of Ohlone history. While the above-ground mound of shells, ritual objects, and artifacts has been destroyed over 200 years of Spanish, Mexican, and American rule, burials remain under the surface throughout the area, and the Ohlone community continues to use the site as a place of prayer and ceremony. Because of the significant and essential role the site plays in the history of the Bay Area and in the broader national narrative, the city of Berkeley designated the site as a city landmark, the state placed the site on the California Register of Historic Resources, and the National Trust placed Berkeley's Shell Mound site, Shell Mound site, Shell Mound site on its 2020 list of America's 11 most endangered historic places. To the Ohlone people and the broader Berkeley community, the Shell Mound site is an invaluable cultural asset described by local Ohlone leaders as critical to the cultural survival of a people who have been systemically oppressed for generations. We are grateful that the city of Berkeley and the National Trust have joined us to defend this landmark site, said Karina Gould, who we heard earlier in the press conference of the Confederated Villages of Lashon Ohlone. The historic structure is still there in the land, in our memory, and in our continuing prayer. 
ceremonies that honor our ancestors at the site. We urge the court to, of appeal to affirm the original court decision, which was correct and a step toward justice. Despite the advocacy efforts of Gould, the Trust, and many others, the work to preserve the West Berkeley Shell Mound and Village site is just beginning. The current lawsuit was initiated by the private owners of the Shell Mound site after the City of Berkeley denied their request for a streamlined approval of the proposed mixed-use development plan for the site. This new process is available for qualified housing projects that meet certain objective planning criteria, including the condition that they would not demolish an, an historic... <sighs> structure listed on a federal, state, or local historic register. The city and the tribe prevailed in lower court, and the private owners appealed the case to the California Court of Appeal. Complicating matters, the California legislature subsequently amended the law to require tribal consultation for housing projects that would impact tribal cultural resources. AB 168 amended uh, SB 35 in September 2020. The California Court of Appeal is now called on to decide whether that amendment has retroactive effect. The public can view the oral argument, which will take place via video conference, uh, which happened yesterday, Thursday, February 18th, beginning at 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, even if the court decides in favor of the city of Berkeley and the Confederated Villages of Lishan and confirms that the existence of the Shell Mound means that the project does not qualify for streamlined approval, the housing project may still be resubmitted ugh, for consideration through Berkeley's regular discretionary legal local government approval process. The National Trust and its partners are committed to acknowledging the West Berkeley Shell Mound and village site as a sacred resource to the Ohlone, of the Ohlone people, an invaluable chapter in the full American story worthy of protection. In so doing, the trust proves that preservation can and must be a force for reconciliation and justice. Whew. All right, so this article, again, it's from Indian Country Today, and we'll post a link to it on our website at weeklyrev.org. All right, what else did I want to get to today? Oof. And again, as I've said many times before, this is just a drop in the bucket of what is happening right now. Okay. And I think I'm going to... Oh, okay. One last thing. This will be a short video from um, Mexico. And this is from Chilpan Singo uh, Guerrero. And... I'll play the audio and then uh, translate what folks are saying. And you, again, I found this on Twitter. This was shared by Liz at A-B-I-S-M-A-D-A -A -A underscore. And we'll share the headline. Uh, hashtag un violador no será gobernador. Uh, colectivas feministas marchan hacia el E oh my gosh, my Spanish. I am so embarrassed. I-E-I-E-P-C. Uh, Guerrero para presentar un documento y demandar la impugnación de la canadora, candidatura de Félix Salgado Macedonio. And um, that... Oof. One moment here. And I'll play the the audio here, which is it's only about thirteen seconds. 
and then I will uh, share the translation of that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to wrap up after this. Thanks again so much for listening. It's a lot of information. And also, there's a lot of ways that folks can show up and help out and try to work to create the world that we all deserve to live in, which is a world without violence and a, a free world where we take care of each other. It shouldn't seem that uh, difficult, but, you know, here we are. So again, okay, the, the translation is, A violator will not be governor. Feminist collectives march towards the IEPC Guerrero to present a document and demand the challenge of the candidacy of Felix Salgado Macedonio. And we'll provide a link on our website. Thanks again so much for listening. Again, weeklyrev.org. We've got a Patreon up. I know a lot of folks have uh, podcasts these days and they have advertisers and they can pay engineers and stuff. This is a very DIY situation, as are many shows here at Mutiny Radio. You can donate directly to Mutiny Radio. You can also donate directly to this show. We mean a hell of a lot. So we can help continue doing what we're doing here. Again, weeklyrev.org. Click on my Patreon tab and you can donate anywhere from a dollar a month and up. would be greatly appreciated. So here we go. Here's some audio, and I'll be in afterwards just to play some more music. Dorm room like a hedge maze, and when I first 
It's not true. Look at me. 
I think you've seen me before If you hear something late at night Some kind of troublesome kind of fight Just don't ask me what it was Just don't ask me what it was Just don't ask me what it was And I only hit till you cried After Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy, the small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do, to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buxian Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at Buxian Revolution.
Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought or two. You know, if you go to joke workshops, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is a dag-dabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radio. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radio. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch San Francisco, what are you doing this week? Come join Mutiny Radio Presents for four different comedy shows supporting local businesses in the Mission District and beyond. On Sunday, join us in the Tenderloin at Resolute Wine Bar, 678 Geary, for Barrel of Laughs at Resolute, an amazing comedy show with the best wines curated by Resolute. On Wednesdays, join us at Asiento at and 21st and Bryant for dinner and a show at Asiento. Delicious tapas, incredible drinks, hilarious comedy Wednesday nights at 7.30. On Fridays at 7 o'clock, join us outside mutinyradio.fm here at 21st and Florida, 7 o'clock for outdoor comedy, socially distanced in the street. And Saturdays, join us at Atlas Cafe SF. 20th in Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio. St. Valentine's Day Mascara, streaming live on Facebook, Sunday, February 14th, 11 a.m., an international affair hosted by Ms. Noir. Do you crave a carnal comfort? Are you longing for some lecherous lines? Is it seduction from a sultry forest that you sit in, or would you rather be ravished by a rhythm and drive? Care to venture a little voyeuristic versification with this lyrical libertine? Or could this wanton words that may be with an appetite for an allegorical adultery? 
why not slate your literary lustings in a personal one-on-one? St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's